Hey, Taylor, I had a lot of fun on your show with you, and there's no need to apologize about spoiling the Lichway. I could have always spoken up and said, hey, 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 hey. So it's all good. All good, my friend. Good morning, and welcome back to the Clerics Wear Ring Mail podcast. That was Jason Connerly of the Nerds Variety RPG cast, starting us off at the top of the show. Thank you, Jason, for calling in. Thank you for your magnanimity. Uh, in reference to my spoilage of the Lichway, uh, Jason came on the show a few weeks ago talking about the art of converting modules and resources from one system to your system of choice. We will hear some more from Jason later on in the show because today I've got a call-in bonanza for you. We had a lot of interest in house rules, writing house rules, uh, whether you should play a different game, whether you should write your own game, uh, and uh, whether that game should be a clone, an analog, or the original. Additionally, I've also got a call in that I'm not going to play today. I'm going to save it because it is the first entry into the Clerics Rare Ringmail Spring Slash Summer Contest. It's kind of a transitional contest. It runs from when spring transfers into summer, uh, at least here. As a reminder to everybody, I encourage you to come in. Like I said, we've got one entry so far, so your chances of winning, if you call in, are about 50-50. If you don't call in, then I know my winner already, and that's no fun. To reiterate the rules, call in, or email, or text message, or carrier pigeon, however you choose to reach out to me, and tell me about how you would convert a monster from one system to your system of choice. If that system is OSR, you get a wink and a double thumbs up, but the winner will be pulled at random from a hat at the end of the competition on the last day of June, June 31st. That or, you know, somewhere in that vicinity. You have until June 31st to get me your entry. When the winner is decided, the winner will receive a $15.15 gift card to drive through RPG. In addition to that gift card, the winner is entitled to nominate a charity of their choosing, which will receive a matched $15 donation in their name. If you do not have a charity in mind, that's okay. I got a couple I can pull from the hat for you. I can always do it to uh, Forgotten Angels, Jason's charity of choice, uh, where they use donations to help foster children who age out of the foster system without a family, or Compassion International, my uh, charity of choice, which is an international faith-based organization that empowers children in developing countries to... uh, with faith, community, education, health care, and other necessities to succeed and grow in their, uh, in their local environment. Now, I do want to put a bit of a caveat. My caller, uh, my first entry, did not specify charity, uh, so I'm not uh, horking anybody out by doing this. Regarding the charities you pick, Please cut me some slack and don't ask me to donate to a politically or socially charged charity. 
People come to podcasts like this one and people play games like ours to get away from real life, not to engage more deeply with it. So with that in mind, if you ask me to donate to NARTH, for example, the National Association for Research and Therapy for Homosexuality, I will not. Conversely, if you ask me to donate to Planned Parenthood, I will not. And take this for what it is. I, this is not about what I believe. This is not about what you believe. This is about building a community on things that bring us together instead of tearing us apart. For that reason, Clerics Wear Ringmail as a product, uh, the blog, the podcast, the channel, everything, I go out of my way to stay apolitical and asocial. With that in mind, I do hope to uh, hear from you. I'm looking forward to the calls, and I'm excited to move in to our first call-in of the day. We've got Randy from Biggest Geekus. Randy, what you got for us? Taylor, this is Randy. Somebody's paying attention. Yes, if Joe runs, oh man, there's no way I'm playing a wizard. You know how bad I, badly I treated it back in the day. <laughs> Vengeance would definitely be served cold. In a cold dish, no less. Vengeance served in a cone, perhaps? A cone of cold? But yeah, I'm still listening to the middle of your uh, House Rules episode. I do like it. Man, sometimes it's challenging. Do I just want to buy a cheap retro clone and play it? Or do I, do I want to create my own from you know scratch like Mudsore, which is currently in Limbo? But Limbo, as a resolution mechanic... That's some innovation right there. I would have gone with Twister, but now that I think about it, based on the physique and, uh, we'll say, demographic composition of most of my in-person D&D groups, I do not mind the idea for the limbo instead. Going to jot that down. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough call. Seems like you're motivated to do the latter, and I'm feeling a bit lazy, but it doesn't make either way wrong. But uh, anyway, keep up the good work and uh, take care of them kids and wife, man. Be good. Thank you for calling in, my man. It's good to hear your voice and good to know you're listening. Talking about uh, creating a homebrew versus uh, playing something else and then evolving away from it into a homebrew, the decision at this point is primarily I want to run a game. I want to I want to play. I love podcasts. I love YouTubes. I love talking about the game, but I don't know. Lately, I just... I haven't been feeling it as much. I've cut back a little bit on my podcast listening. I've been listening to some professional podcasts that tell me uh, computer programming things, but yeah, I, I just I don't know. I guess some of some of the creators that I really like listening to aren't producing uh, episodes anymore. I guess they are in a funk too. But I think my biggest thing is I actually want to play. There's only so far that talking about the game will take you and as much as i'd like to write a game what's what's writing a game if you don't play test so that's kind of where i'm coming from with the uh wanting to run a game i'm still uh, i still have not as of this recording bought a foundry license however as of this editing i totally have i downloaded it spun up a new system under the hood built out a character sheet and at the moment, I'm working on uh, burning through some technical hiccups with the framework. 
the API documentation did say that you should allow a couple weeks for system development. It'll take longer than you think. But um, I guess that's what they were talking about. Because <laughs> uh, I got this sheet spun up in an hour or two. To start playing with it, I have watched a bunch of YouTubes on how to fiddle with Foundry. It does seem a little bit better than MapTool, but again, like I said, I haven't actually downloaded it. Or have I? So, Taylor, if you're so desperate to run or play, why haven't you just coughed up the $50? Well, $50 really is not that much money, but life gets in the way. Like you mentioned, Randy, you got to take care of the wife, you got to take care of the kids, and um, the, the air conditioner on our car uh, went out. So that's an expense that I have to uh, jump on that the where we're walking into the warm season in Florida there is no way and one thing they don't think about humidity air conditioners will pull water out of the air and one of the things about living in the swamp it's a hundred percent humidity every single day and that's one of the reasons why uh, we get rust you guys get rust up in uh, the snow belt up there because you have the, the salt on the roads we get uh, rust because you're borderline driving through rain on a sunny day it's very humid and so the air conditioner will one suck that out of the air and then two will cool you off a little bit so we've got that big expense uh, we've got a baby shower that we're going to and dumping money on a little bit and then on top of that work's been beating me up so I haven't been getting home in time to make dinner so we've been ordering out a lot of food and it's just the cost is kind of piling up and I need to control spending and if that means that I don't get to do RPG stuff so be it gotta take care of the family first on a positive note at the end of the day, I could always do theater of mind. I should stop obsessing over the aesthetics of the VTT, knowing that I'm not going to be doing those kind of extensive uh, artful maps that a lot of the successful actual play types are going to use. Why not just go Owlbear Rodeo and do Fog of War as we go? Because really, that's all I—that's all I care about—is the fog of war and showing uh, certain elements of the map at a time. So, stay tuned. That will happen eventually. Um, hopefully, sooner rather than later. Again, thank you, Randy, for the call. Hey, Taylor, this is Randy at Biggest Geekers. Just wanted to comment on something that Jason said. And first, I thought I was disagreeing, but I think I'm agreeing. Uh, when it comes to house rules, the statement that. Uh, the DM perceives a problem, he changes things. I get it. I mean, I've done it when I was younger. And I've been wrong, and I've been right. Um, I do think that's what he's saying. I think the player perceives certain parts of the game and certain ramifications of rules that the DM doesn't. And the DM, likewise, sees certain, sees certain parts of the game and rules and ramifications that the players don't. So I am kind of advocating for a cooperative sort of element there has to be a final arbiter. I'm not up for, hey, let's vote with this rule happens or not. Uh, in my team, I'll decide, but I think seeking player input is great. But I do believe that's what Jason was trying to say. Uh, in the end, uh, I think I'm agreeing with you. 
And that is Randy calling in from the Edison Museum using the original telephone built by Thomas Edison to call into my podcast. And he's giving us a very good case for the communal house rule. That is very true, uh, what you're talking about, or what I think you mentioned, where a player is going to see the game from a different perspective as the referee, and that is one of the things that came up as a big part of the homebrewing that I did in college between uh, D&D WotC and uh, D&D OSR. We built uh, the game, we would play the game, the players would do stuff, would see stuff, and then we would uh, iteratively amend the rules until we created a game that suited the kind of experience we wanted to have. And that was particularly fun because one of my more munchkin-y buddies who I miss gaming with, he he still games, I think, but he lives hours and hours away and I haven't I haven't been keeping up with people like I should. It's hard to do after you have kids. If Listeners, if you have a friend or relative who has young children and has not called you in a while, it is not because they don't want to talk to you. I promise. Uh, just uh, cut them some slack because it's just, you'd be surprised. It took me four days to respond to a text message from my aunt the other day. But, I digress, the important part, when this fella came in, uh, he looked at the rules and he goes, uh, he, he, we literally watched him. Oh, I couldn't make this and go. Oh, ooh, let's uh, combine this feat with the. Oh, over and over. Find, he tried to game the system, but because we'd had players working through it until that point, the system had already been game proofed. And so it took some serious doing to break it. Therein, it's good to have your buddies go through the system with you. It's good to run playtests, and ideally, if you can run playtests with a bunch of different people to bring in those different perspectives and to game it different ways, that's that's where you're going to produce professional-grade content. Now, not all of us are trying to produce professional-grade content. I think that's self-evident by the garbage I tend to throw up on my blog. Not all of us are going to be putting up professional content, and that's okay. That said, there's no reason not to try, and there's no reason not to have the best experience your table can have. Hey Taylor, this is Graveslug. Just wanted to throw my hat in here on the house rules. Uh, I'm in agreement with Jason that if you're trying to change, let's say, the feel, like change OD&D enough to get the feel of pulp action, it's just not gonna happen. You need to play Barbarians of Lumeria. I'm gonna contend that you can do pulp with OD&D, with chainmail. So the biggest thing that precludes the pulp action out of D&D is how lethal the game can be at low levels. While that's true, uh, and while your character will wear, will wear down and your element of risk, your uh, management of how much hazard your character can withstand before you uh, head out with the gold, that mitigates when you use the chainmail uh, combat system, specifically the mass combat system, uh, where your hero may take multiple hits in a round before they actually take any damage. More on that to follow. Um, I think the like if you're changing a lot, <clears throat> if you're changing uh, how the base of any game 
like interacts or in, in a major way, then yeah, you probably should play it in a game. Uh, where I find house rules really interesting is in conjunction with a setting. Like when you got the uh, the framework of a game like OD&D or Delvin Deeper, say, uh, and you want to create a custom setting that, you know, changes maybe how some of the stuff uh, interacts, say, uh, changing the way stuff interacts slash uh, adding to the rules to... I guess present your setting like your custom custom setting if it's not generic fantasy land um I think is really cool case in point on that one Hyperborea Hyperborea does that that's the AD&D chassis with a very specific flair a very specific feel uh tacked on with a very uh very interesting setting it's interesting you mentioned that setting with system because that's actually something I've been thinking about last year before I realized we were going to be having another baby. The setting for the game I want to run uh, in the nearish future, I was planning on putting in a region of my world called the Ash Coast. What is the Ash Coast? It is a strip of barrier islands and coastline uh, beneath a mountain range that lies between two civilized and friendly empires. However, it has been completely taken over by necromancer lords, uh, lich kings, and warlock barons who poison the land from inside layers of active volcanoes, festering swamps, and uh, stone fortresses floating in the heavens. Originally envisioned as a way to show off how BX could be way more metal than Morkborg, that may be a pretty cool way of uh, putting that stuff together. Who knows? Project next year. We'll see. But, you know, that imparts... You kind of got to make your own little supplement, and your players kind of got to be willing to read that, you know? It doesn't need to be a novel or, you know, something crazy long. Just, uh, you know, I, th I think that's a little different from, uh, you know, like... 20 pages of a small setting booklet for your players to read is a lot different than 10 pages even of like really just changing how the basic functions of a game works. I hear you. That brings up a podcast topic we'd uh, circulated a while back. The idea of introducing lore to the players and what is the, what is the difference between lore and fluff. While I'm not going to try to dive into the second point now, because that's a that's a long topic, the uh, the former introducing lore to the players, there's definitely an art to it, because you'll have some players who are really into it, uh, like me, for example, uh, one of my buddies in college when he was running his world uh, world of I think he called it Terran. Uh, I'll see if his website is still up. He put up a website that uh, allowed us to go in and dig into, he had illustrations, he had maps, and he had uh, brief histories. And I was, I was nagging him, uh, dude, slack off at work, I need more lore. Uh, but then we also had some other players who uh, barely, barely even remembered to bring a pencil to the, uh, to the first session. So you're gonna have different types, different players, and personally, my favorite way to introduce the lore when I'm running the game 
is in the game. If I can put quest hooks in, if I can put interesting set pieces in the wilderness that allow the players to interact with the lore, that's the best way to kind of baptize them into the setting, into the culture, and into the uh, world that you've built for them. My two coppers, to complement yours. If we can get one more caller, we'll have a nickel. I wasn't actually done, I guess. Uh, I guess in summary, house rules for me can take the form of uh, an official setting, even if you wanted to make it make that comparison. Like you take uh, your, your base uh, AD and D game, and then you add Forgotten Realms on top of it, or Kryn on top of it, or uh, Dark Sun Athos on top of it. Those make you know pretty uh, decent changes to some of the aspects of a game but they don't really change the feel of the base game itself too much excepting just the the feel of the setting like you're still playing an adventure exploration survival game you know but i don't know where i'm going with all this i like everything i like everybody bye-bye going to dark sun it sounds like oh that's a spooky journey that said, I am with you. I believe I actually mentioned Dark Sun as a good example of house rules to build a setting and tone. In any case, it's, it's awesome to hear your voice. I'm excited to get the call, and thank you uh, for, for putting it in. Hey, Taylor, great episode on sparring over house rules. Uh, you know, I've, I've responded to you a bunch on Discord already, sending you links and different things that your listeners are going to miss out on. But I will say, make some great points. I really don't think we're that far apart, to be honest. They're, to some point, retro clones, at the point they take on their own identity, you know, are full-fledged games of their own and deserve to be viewed that way, at that point, they're not really clones anymore. I would say Hyboria is its own game now. And honestly, Hyboria is my favorite um, reworked version of Gygaxian D&D. Just like Dungeon Crawl Classics is my favorite reworked version of post-Gygaxian D&D. So my favorite version of either of those games really I guess could be called a retro clone or a spin-off. Fun trivia, the first retro clone to be booted out of the retro clone category for being too different, BFRPG. BFRPG, which came out within like six months of Osric, the namesake of the OSR movement. So one of the OGs of the movement was deemed too different from its source material to be truly a retro clone. I don't know who did the deeming. Uh, we need to get those guys to step up and give us a proper definition of OSR so we can gatekeep effectively. But whomever did it, they did us a service because the author went on to make Iron Falcon one of the cleanest and most accessible clones of the original LBBs and Greyhawk. So at the end of that day, the community is the one who won. And I'm driving down the road, but you know, like an elf might have a 
a sword dancer or something. And but so the elves have classes that are elf specific classes, and dwarf dwarves have a number of classes or dwarf specific classes and things like that, which are pretty cool. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm not against any of that. Mind you, and none of that really that argues for retro clones instead of the or to stand alongside the original games as options to pick. I think a plain Jane retro clone doesn't really offer much over the over the real game, and especially if it's not free. But some of these have really developed into their own identities with all the flavor, and they're worth picking if you're looking for something specific. I can see that. Uh, if you have the uh, OSE approach where the value is in making uh, reference easier, then there's value there. But if you have a, uh, a straight-up clone uh, for the purposes of publishing against it, that need has definitely evaporated. And the only reason to go for one of those is to express disdain for the current uh, IP holder. But that brings up a very interesting delineation of what is a clone versus what is a spin-off. And thinking back, a lot of the games that I would call retro clones and the ones that I enjoyed the most are the ones that introduce novel and creative mechanics. It's fun for me to see how those authors tackled problems or complexities of the game in ways that flow at the table. Is that its own genre of game? I do not know. And at what point does it cease to be OSR? Again, we're going to have to get those definition police and uh, have them set us straight. Either way, I will submit that I think the single most widely used kind of spin-off game, uh, specifically the single most widely used spin-off mechanic, is probably the specialist from Lamentations of the Flame Princess. Uh, say what you want about the people who publish it, say what you want about the provocateur style that they approach module design. The single most common house rule that I see in a BX compatible game is some form of incorporation of the specialist or specialist skills. And that's why I like the R to stand for Renaissance, I guess. I'm a Renaissance man. So I, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse, so I'll let that go there. But I'm curious to see what you you decide to do talking about that. Well, never mind. I won't say that. Um, scratch that last bit. It seems to me you won't play these calls until after your episode about adapting modules. So it's silly for me to do like I tried to do at the end of the last call in setting up the adapting modules because it's going to be played after it. So foot in mouth, thy name is Jason. So originally the plan might have been to use this call as the intro to that episode because it did come in in time for me to do that. But a uh, combination of some family things going on at the same time kind of precluded that from happening and I did want to get the episode out. Should have included it as an Easter egg. Hey, ZWR. I'm John. In the last podcast, you had a section on collaborating with your players to make the house rules. Have you ever done group house rules? I run two different groups, and both have their own set of house rules based on stuff that I, you know, stuff that I've made. Uh, I think it's great for letting the players getting on customizing the game, just like the collaboration. But the downside is obviously forgetting which house rules for which game. 
Uh, anyways, thanks for the podcast. Have a good one. Hey, hey, John. Thank you for calling in. Welcome to the show. And that's an interesting question. So, have I done group-based house rules? I think I can say I have. Or at least I've done something similar. I am wont on occasion to wax poetic about my college experience where some friends of mine and I who played together at home also started a D&D open table at the uh, friendly local gaming shop. Our home game, uh, or at least when I was running, was full of house rules. The biggest difference uh, that comes to mind is our, a non-Vancian spellcasting system. That, coupled with some uh, alternative procedures for combat, coupled with some alternative options for classes, some custom classes, we deviated pretty heavily from the core, but we were still in the same kind of vein. Conversely, running the open table, nominatively, the purpose of the open table game was to promote product. So this was during the epoch of 3.5, probably just shortly after 3.5 had dropped, come to think of it. So what we were doing, we tried to run it as close to the book as possible. Uh, That way, the people who played would get a, a bead on what the game was like and buy books from the comic shop. Now, to be fair, the guy who runs that shop is an absolute gem of a human being. He was very, very active in the Boy Scouts, very active in his community. Uh, He is a Navy veteran, and he's very passionate about every product in his store. He's extremely knowledgeable and extremely friendly. He will talk your ear off about literally anything in the store, and if he doesn't have something, he will point you to where you can get it. Um, I haven't talked to him, uh, or really, any of my uh, university buddies in a while, but um, the last time I heard, they actually had started stocking some of the OSR stuff uh, at a minimum uh, the adjacent DCC line. But I digress. The point I'm trying to make is he probably would have let us run it even if we'd thrown down some Labyrinth Lord or uh, thrown down some uh, out of out of print stuff. But we liked him, so we had a nominal fee to play, a dollar per person per session, which kind of, that's to pay for air conditioning, and truthfully, it turned into buying candy for the referee, but hopefully that was able to generate some interest in miniatures, interest in dice, interest in books, you know, all the the accessories. And so we ran as close to book as possible. Uh, One exception, we treated death uh, special, uh, because, you know, you do one of the guys running games, uh, who interestingly dropped early on, so <laughs> uh, I don't know if we needed to keep his house rule, but uh, we treated death as though you weren't there, you didn't have to re-roll from level one. And so we had two conflicting sets of house rules, one of which was for some buddies at home, and one of which was much more stripped down at the shop. I had a fairly easy time keeping them separate, though I think the biggest reason for that was the, uh, the it's more presence of house rules in one and absence of house rules in the other. And I will admit there were times when I imported some of the stuff I did at home into the shop games that I ran. Usually it was kind of off the cuff where I needed a ruling, but um, also, usually when one of the players was trying to do something funny uh, to me, 
<laughs> so we, uh, needless to say, it was not a, uh, it was not a meaningful campaign. Uh, Gary would, as Gary would put it, we did not keep strict time records. But yeah, there was a little bit of overlap, uh, and it was. I can see how that could be a challenge if you had two conflicting documents. So, in like I said, in my experience, I was like, do I go by book or do I go by the house rule? And how hard, in terms of really keeping them separate. And I may kick, I may, I may shoot my argument in the foot again here, but, <laughs> but. I, the more distant two things are, the more easy it can be to keep them separate. So if you're playing on the one hand, uh, 3.5 D&D, and then on the other, you are playing, say, second edition, um, especially if there's a huge difference in setting too. Say your 3.5 is set in... Uh, generic Forgotten Realms, uh, and then your 2E, Ravenloft. Because the differences are so stark, that helps to keep your brain in the right state of, of being. I'm, I'm actually kind of curious, have other listeners run into this situation? I know that uh, in these days, it's hard enough for me to get one game going, I can only imagine that other folks in my situation, that is young children, full-time job, life on top of uh, gaming, I can only imagine that you have the same kind of experience or the same kind of hindrances. But I know for a fact that at least one or two listeners run multiple games a week. So how do you handle this situation? I'm curious to hear, and I would love to hear your story. Thank you, John, for the prompt. You got me chattering here for over five minutes. And hopefully you get some other listeners chattering too. Good, uh, good commentary. Thank you for the call. Hi, Taylor. This is James from MindWeave RPG. And I've been start, just recently found your podcast. And I have been working my way through the backlog, but I didn't want to miss the conversation on house rules. And so I wanted to say it can be incredibly rewarding to make your own system from scratch. I know back in October, I think, you made a point of saying that you could eventually really make your own system, but starting from a base, but even completely from scratch, it can be very valuable for understanding how game systems work better, for gaining confidence and modifying things for when you want to modify other systems later, and to get exactly what, well, you think you want. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. One of the things that people don't think about when you're house ruling is when you are house ruling, even if you change it enough for it to become its own game, you still have some of the baked in assumptions, some of the baked in foundations that are part of the game that you're basing out of. And people who don't understand the fundamentals are the house rulers who cause problems. They're the ones who produce unbalanced content. But by house ruling in that, in that design, you come to understand the underlying bones. Now, if those bones are the bones you want to produce, you may not ever learn what the bones are. So with that in mind, doing it from the ground up, saying this is the experience I want to create, how can I create that experience mechanically and tonally, that's a, 
a very interesting thought exercise and something that puts you in the shoes of the Dave Arnesons of the 1970s. Good, uh, good observation. Good call. In my case, I, I thought I knew what I wanted. I was an engineering student in college, and I ended up with something far more complicated than what I probably really wanted. But it was still incredibly rewarding. <laughs> Woo! You were telling me. So I did dabble in a complex skill-based system uh, for a while, and I remember the exact moment when I decided that was not for me because I was sitting there mathing away, telling a buddy of mine, that I was working on a subsystem that would account for and uh, a provision kicks as part of the unarmed combat system. He thought about it for a second and then replied back, well, you could also look at this other rule. And there was another rule that allowed you to trade your accuracy for power. And from his perspective, he said, well, you could just abstract that and say that's what the kick is. And so I thought about it, I looked down, and to be fair, I had uh, pointed the two options within like two or three points of each other, so my math was pretty good. But chuckling to myself, I realized, you know, if I don't remember the rules and builds in my own builder game that I wrote, maybe that's too many rules. So I feel you there. And in talking about the reasons to house rule, one of the big things you talked about was being comfortable with the system and, and just playing the system that you already knew you liked rather than learning something new. And you talked about the cost impact on players, but I found that there's a huge impact on players from changing systems because often players, at least in my experience, players aren't as dedicated to the hobby as perhaps I am. And so they're not really willing to crack open a brand new book and, and learn a whole new system, even if I provide the books and the and the PDFs. They still would rather play Mindweave, my incredibly complicated system that is far too heavy and far too much math. They would rather continue playing that because they know it than learn something, even even a simple system. And and so that's another reason to house rule, right? Is to um, be able to keep your players in a system that they are already comfortable with. True. Um, that's tr probably. Partially the reason why uh, my first foray into uh, homebrewing uh, and heartbreakers was uh, a D&D derivative. My buddies knew D&D. My buddies expected D&D, and uh, that's what that that was the way to get them in. I am in agreement with you. We have uh, with in terms of the level of devotion, and it's not uh, not to say not to talk down on people who aren't as devoted to the hobby, but I've had players who enjoy playing, but just don't have, uh, don't have the desire to run. And I've had players who enjoy playing, but uh, then at the same time, they may drop out because a new uh, GTA dropped. GTA specifically because I'm remembering a particular experience. <laughs> I actually gifted a travel size head and shoulders to those players. Uh, and when they asked why, I said, it's to help with that flaking problem you got. Which was, of course, funny to me and uh, made one of them feel bad, so I felt a little bad in retrospect. But there's definitely uh, a case for that. Now, that makes it a little bit harder to get people on board for your ground-up systems that we were talking about earlier, but it does make it very easy to gain trust. So if you start them off with a heartbreaker derived from something they're familiar with, uh, that is just 
house ruled into oblivion uh, or house ruled into incompatibility while they're there, then they trust you a lot more. So when you say, let's try this new thing, you may, uh, you may have an easier time figuring out how to get, uh, get them players at the table for playtest. Astute observations. Thank you, sir, for the call. With that, I am plumb out of voicemails. So, was there an opinion that remains unsaid? Is there someone you need to correct or someone you need to agree with? Join the conversation. Anchor.fm slash cleric-wear-ringmail. I would love to hear from you. Alternatively, you can shoot me an email, you can hit me up on Discord, Twitter, all that jazz. On the blog, there is a long list of ways to get in touch with me. I would love to hear from you on any of them. And I would love to hear your entry in the spring contest. Uh, don't forget, folks, between now and the 31st of June to send me your favorite monster and how you would convert it and stat it in your system of choice. Furthermore, I know uh, 15 bucks isn't that big, but I'm a small shop, and if, as some of my listeners do, you have an RPG collection that you're content with, you don't need that money, don't let that put you off from calling in. Call in, and if your name comes up, I will instead push that money over to your charitable donation. So if you forego the $15 gift card, I will send that gift card over to the charity instead. Uh, hopefully they like RPGs. Um, just kidding. I will say I'll double the donation to 30 in the event that you don't want the uh, the gift card. So I'm flexible. Just let me know what you need. Would love to hear from everybody, and I would love to have you guys review, subscribe, like, heart, and all that jazz. So I very rarely do the shilling. I think I'd uh, ask you to do this for the first time uh, two episodes ago on the journey with Jason where I launched the contest. So I'm uh, that actually received my first dislike on YouTube ever. <laughs> I'm assuming the shilling or the contest uh, are what kind of put you off. If it's the shilling, I will stop, I promise. Uh, I just... It would be really cool to get that 100 mark so I can customize the URL and I could do C slash CWR instead of a C slash YouTube generated hash code. It has been fun talking to you. Thank you, uh, first and foremost, uh, final most, I guess, for uh, all of my callers for making this show what it is, for making this conversation fun. Thank you for calling in, and I love hearing from you. And between those thank yous and when we talk again, Delve on. Swear Ring Mail Podcast is an independently owned and operated product released for educational and informative purposes under the Totally Steal This license, which is kind of like Creative Commons, except f- licensing. Segments recorded within a vehicle are recorded using a Bluetooth hands-free device in conjunction with local vehicular safety legislation. The music for the Clear Swear Ring Mail Podcast is Gold Coffee by Michael Ramirez C. Retrieved from Mixkit.co and used under the Mixkit royalty-free music license. Sound effects used in the Clear Swear Ring Mail Podcast are also retrieved from Mixkit.co and used in accordance with the Mixkit-free sound effects license. Clear Swear Ring Mail does not ascribe to nor endorse views or opinions expressed by call-ins, guests, or even the host, unless you think they're awesome, and thus does not assume any liability regarding the consumption or distribution of this podcast. By listening to the Clear Swear Ring Mail Podcast, you agree to these provided terms. Parties with questions regarding these terms, conditions, or releases are encouraged to reach out to Clear Swear at the prescribed methods provided on the Clearest Wearing Mail blog. Parties dissatisfied with these terms, conditions, or releases are encouraged to go suck an egg.